Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. everyone and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week I am joined by Heather Dinich of ESPN. Heather covers the college football playoff and that is what we're going to talk about. This is going to be an all playoff episode. Mostly we're going to try to talk about where this thing is going. The future of the playoff, expansion, why it could happen, why it might not happen for a while, and what we think would be the best ways to expand the playoff. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org where you can read all of AP's college football coverage, and away we go. Joining me this week on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast is the great Heather Dinich from ESPN. She covers the college football playoff and does a great job of that, and this is going to be Mostly about college football playoff. Uh, I know you're doing horses this week. You get you 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 duck away from college football for just a just a moment here to do the Preakness because it's in your backyard, Heather. But thanks for coming on and talking a little college football in the Knockwood quiet off season. Sure, my pleasure. Always happy to talk some CFP and mix it in with some horses. But <laughs> <laughs> whatever it might be, I'm ready for it. You know, if we had a a, a slightly more interesting Preakness, I might actually ask you about that because I do love those races. I, as much as I'm not a horse racing fan, so to speak, beyond the Triple Crown races, I love the Triple Crown races. But after what happened with the with the Kentucky Derby, I'm sure I'll watch the Preakness, but I don't have a whole lot of interest going on, and, and I don't think there's really a whole lot to talk about at this point. So we'll dive right back into the college football. Let's just start with this before we get into some very big picture stuff. You were one of the few reporters, because it's what you do 24-7, to cover the most recent meetings a few weeks back. I guess they were maybe a little, maybe a little less than a month ago in Dallas, where the playoff committee gets together, Bill Hancock and his staff, and they chat about some things, and the commissioners get together and they talk about maybe possible changes. And despite all the bluster around the games last year about expansion and this and that and the other thing, things seem pretty quiet as far as any possible changes to the playoff format. Is is that a fair way to to assess things? Sure, it really was. And it was a much different type of no news than it was at the national championship where they held this kind of impromptu press conference the day of the championship game and Mark Keenum, the president of Mississippi State, came out and and said that they're not ready to talk about expanding the playoffs right now. Um, This time it was simply business meetings, right? And like you said, you know, much less interest from the media, nobody really expecting anything major, and there wasn't, you know, it was, this is the one time a year that they get together, they go over the budget, they meet with the athletic directors who participated in the playoffs to get their feedback from it, and um, selection committee chair Rob Mullins from Oregon was there, and he was there to answer any questions that any of the commissioners may have had. It was 
quite frankly, uneventful. And that was expected because they are entering the sixth year of a 12-year contract, and there just have not been any real, true driving force to change this thing yet. Okay. Now, that said, we're going to talk about what happens if they change this thing, <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I think it's inevitable that that conversation is going to continue over the next few years, because, well, let me ask you this. Let's start with this question. Do you think expansion is inevitable? That at some point we are going to end up with a bigger playoff. And when I say some point, that is an open-ended some point. Yes, because that's the world we live in, right? If you can make more money off something and it can be bigger, that's what we do here. And I, I think that it would trend in that direction. And a lot of coaches that I've spoken to are in favor of it. Not all of them, though. But, I mean, and in, in speaking to people across the country about it, their opinions tend to reflect the conference they come in. Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, heck yeah, he wants to see it expand. So do a lot of the coaches in the Big Ten. The SEC, everything is great. <laughs> Everything's happy in SEC country. Why, why mess what's working with, with what's working? So I do think at some point, it will expand. I just have a really hard time seeing it happen anytime soon. In spite of discussions, people have to remember that you can talk about something for years without actually making any changes. Well, then let me let me follow up with this one, and that is, you're right. The idea that this is a there's a difference between inevitable expansion and when that could expand. I mean, you know, we could end up ten, fifteen years down the line. We're in year six of this contract. The contract ends. After the 2025 season, am I getting that right, or 2026? Sometimes I get my dates mixed up between when the games are played and when the season is. Right. I think it's 2025, but now I have to, I would have to double-check <laughs> right. myself. <laughs> right. So let's leave it at that. What do you think would be the scenario of events that would keep it at four into another contract? Because it seems like that that seems to be the dividing line. I think a lot of us, you and I included, people who cover this think, you know, when we get to the point of having to negotiate a new contract, that's a, a logical place where it would grow. If they're going to grow it, they're going to have to come up with a new television contract. They're going to have to come up with some new ideas. That's a logical place. But like, let's play devil's advocate here. What's the scenarios or can you come up with some scenarios that would lead to it staying at four past 2025? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I I would be surprised if it did stay past four in the next contract, but if there was something that could make that happen, I would say that it would be we see more more teams enter into the mix. I think it's that simple. I think, and I'm not talking about UCF. This isn't a UCF discussion because you can expand the playoff to eight and UCF can still be nine. So yeah. <laughs> hold on a minute there, right? I think that it's if the Big Ten champ is in the next two years, the Pac-12 champ gets in, and you see college football sort of even itself out, and you don't see two SEC teams, and you see Alabama lose. Um, maybe there's a different SEC team in that's not named Alabama or Georgia. If there's just a wave of refreshing over the next half of this contract and people say, oh, it is, 
it is really more open. It is, it is an open field. It's not just Alabama and Clemson. Will that happen? I don't know. Look, Alabama and Clemson, we're going to be talking about them for a while, I think, because of, of who they are and what they've built there and what they've established. But I also think that people just forget Alabama can lose. Look at the first two years of the college football playoffs. They lost to, um, what was it, Ole Miss each year, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And, and was Mississippi State in there, too? They're not invincible. It's really hard to go undefeated, and I, I don't know that people necessarily appreciate that given just what we've seen recently. But I think if you if you do get more teams in the mix and all of a sudden Clemson is left out or you see an upset or something, I think maybe people might say, well, you know, maybe four is not that bad. Yeah, as an aside, and, you know, you talk about teams losing. And last year, I think it was a little bit of an anomaly. You had three teams undefeated entering the playoff. It's the first time that happened in the playoff, but it's also the first time that it happened in, if you want to take the BCS year or going back several years, where you had three Power Five teams, if you want to include Notre Dame in that mix, and you probably should, entering the playoff or entering the postseason undefeated. That just doesn't happen very often. So, when you say, you know, it's not necessarily a matter of going undefeated. Like, you can beat Alabama, right? They lo- they've lost games to Ole Miss. They lost to Auburn a couple of years ago. But very few teams are good enough to sort of not just beat Alabama, but then also go 11-1, and right? Like, you know, Clemson right. can lose a game in its conference. It had, you know, it's lost to Syracuse. It's lost to Pitt. But nobody else is capable of sort of having that sustained success. So I think that's the other thing. Like, you don't necessarily have to be perfect, but Clemson and Alabama are so good that the one misstep is usually not going to be enough to derail them. Right, right. But, I mean... Uh, going back, I guess, to the, to the larger point is that I do think it, it will expand in the next contract. But the other thing that people don't talk about often enough, because we, and myself included, constantly repeat 12-year contract, right? Mm. But within that contract is the Orange Bowl contract, the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Cotton Bowl. You know, you, you're talking about pulling a string and unwinding the whole sweater, right, when you, when you start to do this. And I think that that is what can really draw out those discussions, quite frankly, over six more years to try and figure out how do you preserve this bull system, how do you do it logistically, and keep all of those contract bulls happy. Yeah, you know, the other an interesting thing happened. We're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon, and the day before, the Orange Bowl announced that it's been rescheduled as far as where it was the date it's going to be played. It was supposed to be played on January 1st in the afternoon as a lead-in to the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl this year. Instead, it's going to be a night game on December 30th, a Monday night, which is great for the Orange Bowl because that's its traditional. It, it likes to be a night game. It's generally put, put on at night. So that's a great deal for the Orange Bowl and probably a smart move for everybody involved. I bring that up because the dates for all the semifinals and championship games are already set. Like, So they were able to move that Orange Bowl. But this is not necessarily something – the idea of if you expand the playoff – within the 12-year contract, which, again, I think some people think is still a possibility. I'm with you. I don't think that's probably that's likely. But one of the things you'd have to work around is these dates are already set. <laughs> like, right. like, you can't just blow up all these. Like They can be tinkered with, but it's another obstacle. The dates for the, the championship game and the semifinals are set, and I really don't think there's any desire to move them. And when you start looking at what it would take to move them, it's not easy. No, it's not. And, 
you know, there's there are so many other issues involved in it as well, and none of this expansion would ever happen without the approval of the university presidents. And well, well let, let's do this. Let me, let me jump in right there and like, let's talk about those things. Talk about all the other issues and university mm-hmm. presidents because I have a feeling I know where you're going. So let's put aside the scheduling and the number of teams and which teams are in it. Let's talk about the obstacles that stand in the way and all the poss- all the things that university presidents and athletic directors and, and commissioners would have, would have to sign off on to create a larger playoff. I think first it starts with academics. There are a lot of schools that don't want to make this a two-semester sport. And here's the reality check of it. I talked to Michael Oxley, who's now obviously the head coach at Maryland, about some scheduling things. He said when he was at Alabama, they won the national championship. They landed. They came home after the game. Plane landed. And an academic advisor gets on the plane and says, congratulations, Here's your, here's your class schedule for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's the reality of it, right? You just won the national championship. Welcome home. you got to go to class tomorrow. And so that's part of it. That's a, that's a question that's asked. And how many games will they be playing? Will they be playing 16 games instead of 15? Um, at that point, then you have to question the health of the athlete. And then you say, well... They already play 15, and, you know, they, they can do it. They do this at the FCS level, and some coaches will say it's no problem. Other coaches will say, hold on a minute, I don't know about that. I don't know if we have the depth. You know, Nick Saban will say, I don't want it to be a game of attrition. I don't want the healthiest team to win. So um, I think that that's another obstacle that they talk about as well. And then where do you play the game? When do you play the games? You have that championship game. I can tell you from talking to the conference commissioners, few if any want to give up their conference championship game. Bob Bowlesby just got his. <laughs> right, like just about got it back. Right. <laughs> right, and it worked out pretty well in the Big 12 for them. Um, so those are three main things off the top of my head that are major discussions. And they are without question obstacles. Like you said, I've written about it and talked to folks about it, about how – Putting all those pieces of the puzzle together is not easy, but of course we should also remember that it could still be done, right? In other words, there's enough motivation to do it, you will figure out a way to put those pieces together and and come up with a way to expand this thing. So we're about halfway through. I want to take a quick break. I'm talking with Heather Dinich of ESPN. We are talking playoff and expansion and the future of this thing and how and what and why it might end up becoming a bigger playoff. When we come back, I want to ask uh, Heather some of her opinions on what she thinks would be the best way to put together a playoff. And we'll talk about, again, some of the obstacles to doing that. You're listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. And we're back with Heather Dinich. I am Ralph Russo on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Heather covers the college football player for, the, for ESPN and does an amazing job. So we've talked about some of the hurdles and some of the obstacles to getting to a playoff, academics and where and when and how and all the intricacies of that. I'm kind of wondering if you could wave a magic wand, if you, Heather Dinich, and I could sit together and, and come up with a plan, what would be the plan that you like best? Putting aside some of the issues that maybe, hey, does it, you know, we don't want it to go into two semesters and things like that, but if you could just wave a wand and say, this is the best way to crown a champion and to have a playoff, what would be your path? Well, I think the first thing I would do is completely change college football in terms of the division and the scheduling. No matter what it is, 
I think I would start there, and I would say either don't play FCS or everybody play FCS. Figure that out to start. Everybody play eight or nine conference games, Notre Dame, join a league. Wow, okay, that's that's strong. Let's let's start there because I think the most basic thing to determine a champion is what the Big 12 does. I don't think they get enough credit for it. Play everybody and see who's the best. Let's go back to elementary school here, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who's the best? How do you find out? You play everybody, okay? So then you crown your champion. And then after an even schedule and crowning your champion – you have all of the conference champions play each other. And then you have um, one or two at-large at large bids. So I guess it, depending on what your, what your conferences look like, and a lot of people talk about super conferences, I say shrink them. Get, get rid of those uneven divisions. Why, why have them so big you can't play everybody and shrink them? And, I, and then I think you have your, your conference champions, and then you play um, – you got to play somebody at home. I think having home games in the equation, like first round, first round home games. Yeah, yeah. In in like mid December, I guess that would have to be like not long after the conference championship games. Right. It would be pretty cool. I mean, if you you know, we talk about these recent home and home series that have been signed that are way out to when maybe we'll be retired and our kids will be basically covering the sport. But <laughs> but the the cool part about them is again, you're getting some of these games back on campus, and the idea of having a, a playoff game at the Horseshoe or in the Big House or in the Swamp is like pretty is is a pretty cool idea. And again, logistics. What time that time of the year? It's finals. Can you have a playoff game on on campus when finals is go, are going on? But again, in this exercise, we're doing away with all those things and just trying to figure out the, the, the best way from a football standpoint. When you say conference champions, you mean Power Five conference, or do you want to expand this thing to all the FBS conference champions get in? No, I don't want to expand it so they all get in. Power Power Five conference champions. All right, so I you can all tweet be- at Heather, all you UCF fans. <laughs> 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 I know, mean, I'm with you, though. I think that you could probably come up with an eight-team deal here where you have five power conference teams, um, you know, the best of the, of, the, of the G5 and a couple of at-large. That's sort of what I would, you know, my, I would play with. Well, because, Ralph, here's the question, right? What problem is everyone trying to solve? Because I think it's really hard to argue who has won over the past five years. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is not who's won. It's been who hasn't had a chance to get in. And you can go to the first year with TCU's drop from three to six. You can go last year to the Big Ten champ being out two years ago, um, two or three years ago when Penn State was left out, right? I mean, the selection committee can justify it any which way they want to, but I think what is really giving some people angst, more so than the UCF thing and the fact that there's really not a great chance for a Cinderella team, is the fact that you're seeing Power 5 conference champions being left out. Right. You're always going to have an issue with when you have four of the uh, basically it's sort of the subjective objective right the subjectivity i think of the process with the selection committee and you i think there would still be a space for a selection committee to pick wild card teams but when you expand the playoff the thing that you're getting is you're sort of eliminating the 
okay, we're going to guess between these three teams, right? Because essentially all right. it is, and listen, this, that's not a knock to the selection committee when they have TCU, Baylor, and Ohio State in front of them. Essentially, all three of those teams probably could have made a good argument, but they can only pick one. So essentially, it's just an educated guess. And when it's Alabama and Ohio State a couple of years ago, you got to pick one. One of them is going to be left out. That could make a good case. Same thing last year with Oklahoma and Ohio State. And if you can go down the line. So I think I, I like your, the way you phrase that. It's always going. It's not necessarily about who wins it. It's who gets the opportunity. And if you expand it and go to some automatic bids and things like that, you eliminate some of that subjectivity that I think really drives fans nuts. Right. And inconsistencies, too, I think is also what people have a problem with who follow it week to week. And it's more so, though, I think, in that lower tier, like 15, 15 to 20, I think there's always a lot of questions about that on the teleconference during the season with the selection committee chair at that time. Like, well, why did they move up? They didn't even play. Or they have three or four losses. And I, why are they even there? And I think that that's, uh, that's one of the things that drives people nuts, too. But then you've also got a team like Georgia that, with two losses and no conference championship, was in the equation last year. They were in the conversation. There were people around that table who thought they were one of the four best teams. I talked to Mel Tucker, and he said, that he didn't think they deserved to be in the college football playoff. <laughs> now, granted, he's not there anymore, so he could probably speak a little bit more freely about it, but he was like, we lost. We lost two games. So I think that by expanding the playoff, well, that's an interesting conversation. They would, they probably would have been in if it's expanded, right, as a, probably as a wild card. Teams. Sure. Right. Right, because yeah. if you have eight, but again, I, I think it's just, it's having that trigger point where you say, okay, I, I think I, I always bring it back to this in, in most sports, right? In, in what Americans watch sports, it's a very simple concept. If you win something, you earn something, right? Mm-hmm. You win a division, you earn a playoff spot. You win the playoff series, you move on. So it's 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 a very sort of black and white. Like even any and we have accepted the fact that that doesn't always mean the best team wins. It means the team that earned it, that sort of earned it on the on the court or on the floor or on the field. And I think that the the biggest problem that always comes back to bite college football is that because these and listen it's just the way of the world there's there's a lot of teams and they don't have a chance to play each other because there's very little crossover and competition between the teams it's hard to ever really walk away going listen as great as Clemson and as Clemson would have crushed just about anybody last year same goes with Alabama but there's still a very there's, there's still almost this unsettledness of going well but they didn't play X and they didn't play Y and, and if we could just see them play each other or have you earned something? It makes I think most people, most sports fans, feel a little better. Like, okay, you have you have won this trophy, and now you get to move on. Right, I would agree with that. Yeah, that 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 would be the difference, and I yeah. think that that's what's what's missing for a lot of people. But look, Ralph, at the end of the day, four teams gives us a lot of talk, lot to talk about, right? <laughs> no, and that's absolutely true. And I think a lot of that, and listen, and you know, you work for ESPN, there's a lot of programming around this. You get to be on TV a lot and you know, mm-hmm. part of your job is talking about it. And but that's an important thing. And I don't want that necessarily to go away. Now clearly it would be a little less, but we would spend a lot of time talking about 
who are the wild card teams. And I think you see this push towards tougher schedules. I, let, let me ask you that because somebody asked me this, actually. And I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that, you're probably right there. When you see teams like Georgia having three power five teams in 2028 on their schedule and Florida now going like actually going outside the state of Florida to play non-conference games, you know, be still my heart. Do you (laughs) do you think that is possibly athletic directors acknowledging that, you know what, by the time we get to these games, there's a chance the playoffs going to be a little bigger and maybe it will be in my favor if my schedule's a little tougher and I'm, you know, we're doing the wild card thing or maybe it'll be a point where, you know, if you win your conference you get in, so if I lose a non-conference game it doesn't hurt me. Do you have do you get any sense that maybe some of this toughening of non-conference schedules is with an eye towards well the playoffs might be bigger by the time we play these games? I think that could be part of it, and I do think that athletic directors who have been in the mix have acknowledged that, but I also think that there are most athletic directors out there also know that they have to schedule to their program, right? They're in constant communication with their coaches, and the reality is that there are only a handful of programs that can win this thing right now. So you're looking at Oklahoma scheduling out till 20, 30, whatever, sure, <laughs> whatever it sure. might be, right? You're looking at those programs kind of lining up those name brand things. And I've talked to Joe Castiglione, who's on the committee and the athletic director at Oklahoma, consistently about scheduling. We talk about it all the time, and, you know, they kind of have their plan, and he's not deviating from it. But at the same time, if you're NC State, you want to have a good schedule that if you should somehow – get those upsets and win the Atlantic, you're not going to be laughed at right out of the room by the committee because you have two FCS teams or something ridiculous. But at the same time, you're not going out and trying to schedule like Clemson and Oklahoma right now. You're just not, right? So I think that there are different programs. I mean, Duke's playing Alabama, so (laughs) maybe I'm completely wrong. No, you're you're definitely right on that. I mean, I think every – program has to have a little self-awareness and say, listen, you know, we're not necessarily playing for national championships. Maybe we could have a magical season, but we really have to worry about like making bowl games consistently. And, and so you end up sort of scheduling, generally speaking, you end up scheduling your peers, right? Duke often plays Northwestern, Vanderbilt and Stanford. It happened to stumble into a game with Alabama, which is fun and fine, but I don't think it's necessarily seeking that out all that often. Right, right, yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that athletic directors all across the country will tell you how difficult it is to schedule anyone, you know, and and schools like UCF will tell you that they have different challenges in getting people to play them as well. So on one hand, the committee's saying, hey, play somebody, and they're saying nobody wants to play us because they can lose. So it's kind of, it's a catch-22 for a lot of athletic directors as well. And plus, there's also a major financial component in all of that, right? Because you're not just scheduling because of the competitiveness and playoff. You're also scheduling for your bottom line. Like, you know, I think a lot of what you see Florida doing now is a response to the idea that like, hey, man, people just aren't buying our season tickets because we're not providing them with enough interesting games. Like the the days when folks would just show up 
no matter who we threw in that building and they would stay the whole game and buy our T-shirts and sodas. I think that there's a generation of fans who are like, you know what? If you're not going to play anybody, I'm probably not going to show up. Or if I do show up, I'm leaving at halftime because I'd rather just go do something else. Right. So, th- so again, there's a financial component to all this scheduling stuff that has to do with getting people in the stands and selling your season tickets and donations and things along those lines. So before I wrap up, we talked a lot of big picture expansion stuff and where this might be heading and that it's probably not going to expand anytime soon. But let's talk a, just a little micro stuff and, and mm-hmm. for this season. And my, one of my favorite things to try to do is we don't, as you said, you have the same teams every year, right? It's a lot of Ohio State and it's Alabama every year and it's Clemson almost every year, Oklahoma. We haven't had a, a ton of sort of those upstart teams. And even when we occasionally do, it ends up being Georgia, right? Georgia kind of came out of nowhere a couple of years ago and made it. But there's often a team somewhere in that, let's say, 11 to 25 range, if you want to use the rankings, that kind of makes a surge and comes off the radar. Washington did it one year. We said Georgia did another year. So I gave you a little tip-off on this before we, 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 wrote, we, we started the show. If you look at the ESPN, you know, way too early top 25 that Schleybaugh and, and Chris Lowe put together, mm-hmm. you know, do you see a team somewhere in that, you know, 11 to 20 range that you go, okay, I'm not necessarily saying they will make the playoff, but if I have to pick one of these teams, here's one that I think that has a chance to, to have a big season and make a, make a run here. Oh, boy, that's tough. I mean, like the, the two teams that I feel like nobody's giving enough of a chance are Oregon and Michigan, um, but they are in the top ten. I think. Though they are on the back end. They're in the very back end of the top ten. They're in the back end. Um, maybe USC. I don't think they're even in the top 25. I'm scrolling through right now. Wow, that would, think... be, that would be an interesting one for a lot of reasons. That would be a, yes. an interesting story, right? For a lot of reasons. But you, the only reason that I'm mentioning them is because I talked to Clay Helton, and he said, I asked him about his team, and he said that he, he really thinks they're going to be good. And he was like, he sounded like an, an excited boy when he was telling me. <laughs> everything basically but nobody knows this but I think we're going to be really good <laughs> so I think I think he's very excited maybe he knows something that that the rest of the world doesn't about his team but I'll I'll throw that one out there as a, a potential true dark horse but um, I did talk to Jim Harbaugh Michigan and he seems like he's really close to getting things to where they want to be and obviously you know Oregon with Justin Herbert coming back I think expectations are much much higher for them and I think they might be able to do something special this year but I think yeah you're hitting on it perfectly I think one of the reasons why the playoff would probably need a little boost in a few years is the fact that again same old teams and not a lot of surprises and and you don't necessarily feel like oh if I'm a team off the pack I have a chance here and I think the more you widen the the field the more, and I, people will say, well, then you're not necessarily, you know, rewarding the best teams. Eh, it's an event, and it's a television event, and it keeps people interested. The more you widen the field, the more you get some fans, some more fan bases interested in not just the playoff when it's being played, but the actual, like, can we make the playoff? And people become more engaged into the late November, and some of those regular season games matter a whole lot more. Right, right. 
But that's one of the things is they don't want to devalue the regular season either, right? That's one of the, the big things that the commissioners talk about is, is keeping college, college football is special because it is different, right? And I think that's one of the things that they don't want to lose. Heather Danich covers the playoff for ESPN. We have dissected it, and uh, if you're looking for expansion, probably not soon, but probably eventually, so hold on tight. Heather, enjoy the Preakness this weekend. It sounds like the weather might actually let up a little bit down there, and we may have some good weather. It might not be the most dramatic horse race because we don't have the Kentucky Derby winner and all that stuff, but you know those races are still fun, right? Is, is it a fun day out there for you? It's fun, yes. It's something different, and this year I'm describing it as Baltimore's party, and they invited some horses. So. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> It'll still be a party at Benlago. I like to invite horses to a party. Excellent. <laughs> hey, Heather, thanks a lot, and we will see you on the trail uh, closer to the season, okay? Sounds good. Thanks, Ralph. And now, three and out. First down. As I mentioned with Heather, the Orange Bowl announced earlier this week it was moving this year's game from early afternoon on January 1st as a lead-in to the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl to the night of December 30th, which is a Monday. It's a good idea, but it got me thinking how screwed up this year's CFP schedule is. The semifinals are being played on December 28th. It's a Saturday. The sites are the Fiesta Bowl and the Peach Bowl, Early that day, the Cotton Bowl will also be played. Then the Orange Bowl will stand alone on Monday, December 30th. That's a good move. The Orange Bowl should be played at night, which is a long-standing tradition. Instead of a noon kickoff competing against the Citrus Bowl and whatever Tampa and Jacksonville Bowls are calling themselves these days. The championship game is slated for January 13th. That's 15 days after the semifinals have been played. An extra two days was added when the conference commissioners who run the CFP realized they had made a terrible mistake wanting to play the semifinals on New Year's Eve weekdays and tinkered with the dates of about a half dozen semifinals. That happened just a few years back. We all know the semifinals should be played on New Year's Day annually, but the conferences put their own best interests ahead of the best interest of the sport and college football fans. That's why the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl are locked into the, t- the best TV real estate in college football. Those New Year's Day, later in the day time slots when everybody's laying around watching television. You can blame the Big Ten and Pac-12 for being intractable about the possibility of moving the Rose Bowl off its traditional midday New Year's Day kickoff, but I tend to direct more of the blame in this game at the SEC and the Big 12. Those two conferences insisted on turning the Sugar Bowl into their Rose Bowl equivalent and locked up that TV time slot after the Rose Bowl for a game featuring their teams. That is when the Sugar Bowl doesn't host a semifinal. The Rose Bowl is one of the great traditions in college football. Leaving it where it is is not a bad idea. The Sugar Bowl is a great game, but there's no reason it should force the semifinals to wander up and down the calendar from year to year. The Russo plan for the perfect schedule and the perfect New Year's Day is semifinal at noon, followed by the Rose Bowl, followed by another semifinal. It will likely never happen. Second down. 
Fox executives have said they plan to use the noon Eastern time slot for their marquee college football game of each week for this coming season. The hope is having a big game at that spot will drive viewers to Fox's new pregame show, which will feature Reggie Bush and Urban Meyer. I love the idea, not necessarily because I want to see Fox's pregame show do well, but simply because the primetime slot has gotten so crowded in college football in recent years. Often ESPN slash ABC and Fox have been putting two of the biggest games head to head. Add in the occasional big SEC primetime game on CBS and NBC pushing some of Notre Dame's best games to primetime. And it's not uncommon for three or even four top-notch games, maybe the best games of the weekend, to be going on simultaneously after an afternoon slate that is less than overwhelming. Fox owns the rights to the Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12. Not exclusively, but they have their choices of a lot of those games. So expect lots of Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Oklahoma, and Texas games kicking off at noon this season. Third down, a little shameless promotion from me. If you like listening to me talk about college football and other stuff, you can catch me on Sirius XM. Usually I co-host ACC Today on the ACC Network from 3 to 6 Eastern. Once or twice a week you can catch me there. Occasionally I pop up on the Pac-12 Network and ESPNU as well. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good as always. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and at Podcast One. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.